0: your garment coming? What kind of question is that? Well, it's the kind of question we need to spend a whole lot more time considering, which is exactly what we're going to do this year. Join me in this episode as we start to dig in to see what garment this really is and learn together where to start in making sure it's stitched together properly and fits just right. Hey guys, my name is Jessica Hartzold, and I am obsessed with all things Jesus. I am a lover of my Bible and a pursuer of our Lord, but I am also a woman who makes mistakes and doesn't always get it right. I haven't always been a follower of Jesus. Boy, have I not. However, during one of the most difficult times of my life, God illuminated for me the power of a choice and this gift of free will. She Chooses is a podcast purpose to help you fall in love with Jesus and in doing so, learning how to harness this gift of free will by taking life one choice at a time. Let's get started. Are you enjoying the She Chooses podcast? If so, do me a favor and share it. Send a link to a friend you think will enjoy the episode or post a link on social media or leave a review wherever you choose to podcast. When you do that, you help elevate the She Chooses podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for others to join in and learn right along with us. Welcome back to another episode of the She Chooses podcast. I'm so excited. This is our first episode of the new year. And I don't know about you, but I I love the start of a new year. I'm very much into resolutions, but the resolutions I like to make are those that are God-focused and things that try to connect me more to God. And this year, I just am optimistic and so ready to just soak my spirit more in his word and allow God access to places that maybe I've not yet surrendered to him. I'm really excited about this study today specifically. Today we are going to talk about the bride of Christ and this study is one that I completely fell in love with when I did it a couple years back and I hope that you're able to glean as much treasure from it as God has shown me as I have dug it out. So last episode, we wrapped up the book of Ruth and mentioned in that wrap-up how throughout that book, Ruth was unknowingly preparing herself for her wedding to Boaz. In that episode, I briefly mentioned how the same is true of us. You know, throughout this life, we, we live it in preparation for that great marriage supper of the Lamb. Today, I want to focus in on Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. I really want us to dial in to discover our call as the bride of Christ, to make ourselves ready. This year, I like to focus every year. I like to focus on a word. You know, for several years, I heard God just speaking so loudly to me, bow or rest. You know, people have words that just are, they they are magnified in their mind and I don't know what it is about this year, but the only word I can really think about is new. And so that's my pursuit. That's my focus this year is God, what is the new thing you desire to do? It's a word that He has definitely magnified in my mind and something that I want to see play out in what God has in store. I don't know what this new is, but I know if I choose to dig into the Word of God and commit myself to prayer and fasting, That whatever that new is, it's going to be realized. And I'll want that if that's what God's plan is for this year. Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Ah, I love that verse. I love the part where it says, And his wife hath made herself ready. So we're going to spend time today and we're going to dig into this verse. First, we're going to ask, who is the bride of Christ? The church is the bride of Christ. And the church, my friends, is made up of many, many members. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 in the Amplified Version tells us, For just as the body is one and yet has many parts, and all the parts, though many, form only one body, so it is with Christ. That's like all of us right now as believers. We, we make up the bride of Christ, each serving a different and completely necessary function. We're all looking forward to that wonderful, precious day when Jesus is going to return and the marriage of the lamb is going to happen. All of time has been culminating and preparing for that glorious day And friends, we get to be part of it as a wife who has made herself ready. What I want to spend this episode dialing into is what being the bride means to us. And how do we make ourselves ready? Because guys, I don't want to miss that. And I know you don't either. If we look at this verse in terms of today's cultural climate, we can look at it with an attitude of eh, what's the big deal? You know, if you look at statistics, your marriage, if you're married is just as likely to fail as it is to succeed. And those stats totally stink. You know, we've we've watched his attitudes about marriage over time, they have drastically changed. Studies, they show for the first time in history, people they're viewing marriage as an option rather than a necessity millennials i i don't like to identify myself as a millennial because millennials just seem to have this horrible rap which totally isn't true totally isn't true but i i am a millennial millennials are getting married later as they have shown skepticism towards marriage whether that be because they have witnessed their own parents getting divorced or because they think you know lifelong cohabitation Maybe a more convenient and realistic option than that binding legal and economic ties that happen with a marriage. There's a a writer of one of the studies that I looked at preparing for this. She said this lack of formal commitment, in her opinion, is a way to cope with anxiety and uncertainty about making the right decision. In previous generations, people were more willing to make that decision and figure it out. So whatever the reason for holding off on marriage, these trends show how this generational shift is really redefining marriage, You know, both in terms of what's expected in marriage, when to get married, and whether or not marriage is even a desirable option. I can't identify with this mentality at all because like since I was a kid, my lifelong dream has been to be a wife with a house full of kids and a white picket fence and, and and just loving a man. That That's just been my dream, you know, and it's okay. You can judge me if you don't like that, but I can't identify with this mentality, but I definitely see it play out and I try not to be judgmental or understand like or think that people that choose differently are absurd or whatever because there's things that are shaping that thinking and these opinions are valid in some people's minds so we have this new thought about marriage and what is it good is it bad is it necessary is it not and it's a real opinion a real cultural shift that we're seeing play out this current attitude toward marriage it does believers a substantial disservice accepting this attitude and living in this culture it completely waters down the significance of what the word of god says and it causes us to work harder to understand it that marriage is a parallel it's used to or a picture It's used to explain the preparation we must walk through as we focus ourselves onto eternity and our eternal reward with Christ. To really get an idea of the depth or magnitude of what God is revealing to us when he uses this allegory, we have to go back to ancient Jewish wedding customs. Digging to see what the culture was, what it was like when it was written it's substantial. And we have to consider what is the significance? What was the significance at the time it was written? When we do this, when we take time to really dig when it comes to scripture, we find God has, he, he has laid out substantial treasure. There is so much beauty to viewing Jesus as the bridegroom and ourselves as the bride and the significance of what this word is saying is elevated and it focuses us in to know what it takes and what God really means when it comes to us like a wife making ourselves ready. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 32 says, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. That's a tremendous question of reflection today have we ourselves forgotten our attire have we forgotten our clothing have we forgotten our garment it's absurd to think that a bride would forget her wedding gown but that's what we're going to do in this episode we're going to we're going to take that question of reflection and we're going to consider this attire that we have been asked to put on but first we have to talk about what an ancient Jewish wedding was really like. And that wedding began with a betrothal. In the betrothal, the father of the bridegroom, he would present a contract known as a ketubah. I'm going to tell you now, some of these words today I cannot pronounce, so I, I'm so sorry. I just don't know. But there's this this contract called a ketubah. This is a contractual agreement. It was written by the groom, and then it was presented to the bride in front of witnesses. In it, the groom, he would outline actions, promises, he's making statements. And the bride, she is then asked, is she willing to step into this agreement, into this contract? This agreement served as a safeguard for her, the wife. It protected her. It outlined what was going to happen if, for some reason, the groom chose to step away from the marriage. The bride, she was allowed to accept or reject that contract, that covenant, her own free will. The Ketubah also included a gift called a mohar. The mohar outlined the details of that contract. When the contract was agreed upon, the bride was given a gift and that gift was was given and it was left for the bride to remember her covenant she was left a reminder this remembrance would help her to grow to love her groom we have to keep in mind the the bride and the groom they didn't always know each other you know where we view marriage as coming together of two people who know and love each other already that wasn't always the case in ancient times. And when we stop to consider this as a parallel to our relationship with Christ, we see in many cases, this is the same. It's a love that comes out of nowhere. For some, it's, it's a love that grows over time. So the bridegroom would then leave and he would leave for anywhere from nine to 12 months. And he was going to prepare a home for the couple. And during this time, the bride, she would be working on her garments. She would be intentional about keeping herself undistracted, chaste, and waiting for his return. And when the home was ready, the groom, he would then return for his bride. And before he would return, however, he would send in front of him, his friends, and they would blow the trumpet. They would shout a warning of sorts, saying, the bridegroom is coming. When the bride, she heard the trumpet, she would get ready. She would gather her virgin friends to prepare for the bridal procession. And in preparing, they would get lamps that were used to light the way. The bridegroom would arrive anytime between sunset and sunrise. Like a thief in the night, he would lift up his bride, carry her home to the home that he had prepared for them. Once they were there at the home he had prepared for her, they would be married and a feast would begin. And that feast would last anywhere from seven or more days. You know, studying this custom, you cannot help but see how it prophetically points to Jesus' return. It will make you fall deeper in love with the scripture as the word truly becomes alive as you start to make these connections. Like it is so incredibly exciting. So now I want us to spend time digging in to make these connections a little clearer. I understand maybe not everybody's there. Maybe you're not quite as excited about it as I am. So let's keep going. To do this, we're gonna break this wedding custom into three distinct parts. First, the mutual commitment. This is when that quechuba is presented and either the bride accepts or rejects the contents that are outlined in it. There was nothing required. There was nothing requiring the bride to accept. This was all done on her own free will. When we look to the scripture, we find Abraham, he began this process and he outlines it for us. You know, God and Abraham, they had a covenant together. That covenant was mutually beneficial and Abraham had to determine on his own free will whether he was going to accept it or reject it. In that covenant, God was voluntarily vowing to Abraham by myself have I sworn to be your partner. If my promises fail, I become your slave. You own me. I put myself in bondage to you. This was the promise. This was the protection that was given to Abraham. Have you ever noticed how we read over and over in scripture? God says, I am the Lord who keepeth covenants. He's reminding us, of this precious covenant that we get to partake in if we will choose it. This is the same covenant or contract that's being presented to us. Anyone who steps into this covenant with Jesus has the same promise given to them. Once this commitment was agreed upon for a Jewish wedding, that mohar was paid by the groom. This was a sum of money known as the bride price when we look to how this correlates to us as the bride, we have to remember, guys, we were born into sin. As many of us would like to think that we are perfect, ugh, we are not, not at all. We were born into sin. As humanity, we sold ourselves at the fall. At Calvary, we were bought with a price. When we look to the crucifixion, we know Jesus, his last words before he gave up the Holy Spirit were it is finished. Guys, going back to the original translation is so incredibly important because when you take time and you translate that back, we know that what Jesus said, what it meant was paid in full. Our mohar is the price he paid for us on Calvary. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20 tells us, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It is this gift he has given us that serves as our reminder while we wait for the day when our groom returns for us. It's this gift that he's left for us that helps us to fall deeper and deeper in love with him as we wait for that wedding day. The next stage of the wedding is the betrothal. The marriage con- contract has been agreed upon. Now the couple is betrothed or engaged. But guys, we cannot view this like we view engagement today because of how watered down engagements really have become as time has, has, has went on. A betrothal was much more than what we see today with engagements. A betrothal means a couple, they're legally married, but they do not live together. If either the bride or the groom, they chose to step away at that point, it was going to require a divorce certificate. And remember, the Quechua, that contract, was going to be there to protect the bride. This time of betrothal, it's it's looked at as a period of sanctification where the couple is preparing themselves for marriage to become One, when we parallel this to ourselves, we see that sanctification is a process that we are all called to walk through. It's a process of making something holy, freeing a person from sin and purification. It's beautiful. It's something that we continually walk through. Once we are baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, we step into that engagement. We belong to Jesus, but we don't live together yet, do we? much the same as the Jewish betrothal, our bridegroom, he too has left and he's preparing a place for us. And we, we're working on our attire, aren't we? We should be working through that sanctification process. John chapter 14, verse three says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may also be. I mentioned the betrothal, that that betrothal was going to last anywhere from nine to 12 months. And the bride, she was not going to know the exact moment when her bridegroom was going to come for her. Matthew 24 and 36 echoes this, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. For those of us that have been baptized and received the Holy Ghost, this is where This is where we are. We're waiting for our groom. We're working through that sanctification process. It's during this time that we're focusing just like that Jewish bride, keeping ourselves chaste from worldly gods. She's remembering her covenant, focusing on preparing garments for that wedding day. We too should be preparing our own garment for that day. And God tells us exactly how that garment should look. Peter, he talks about it. He tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, he says this, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plating hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. He goes on in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust and beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. This garment friends, this is stitched with a pure heart, a meek and quiet spirit, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, kindness, charity. This garment that we're working to put on, it takes time to put it on. Peter, he, he gives us this message showing us it's one that we're constantly growing into. It's a growth that starts out surface level, but then stretches deep within every piece of us, ultimately crowning us with charity, love. I told you earlier that all brides have a choice. Whether we're going to accept this or reject this contract, this covenant that the Lord is presenting us with. Just the same, we all have a choice on how we are going to use this time of betrothal. There's a right way to spend it, and there is also a wrong way to spend it Nobody likes to hear that, but guys, it is true. Not all of us choose to undergo this time of continual growth. And that truth is strikingly outlined when we look to the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Let's talk about the job of those virgins. The job of the virgins was to meet the bridegroom. They were there to wait for him, and that waiting required light. It sounds simple. All they had to do was grab a lamp and wait. But what we find, however, is it required more intention than some of them were prepared for. The gospel is light. Jesus is light. Those who took oil with them had that light, the kind that didn't run out. When we focus in on that parable and we see there, there are two groups there, those who had light and those who didn't, those who were sincere, wise, and those who were hypocritical, foolish. What did the foolish look like? Well, that light in the parable, it's often referred to as the lamp of profession. The foolish had only enough oil for the here and now, but no oil in their vessel. They had the lamp of profession in their hand, but they didn't have anything to pull from when the waiting extended longer than they had expected. How many of us have had something unexpected happen in our walk with the Lord? How many of us have had to wait on an answer from the Lord longer than we had hoped? Probably every crazy one of us. These women were like a plant without roots. The seed that fell on the stony ground that we learn about in the parable of the soils this is them they sprung up they looked apart but when the heat came beating down their roots were not developed and they quickly faded they looked the part they went along with the crowd but they were unable to endure to his coming they had a vain hope you know guys we all go through valleys of life and those valleys of life will try to put out our lamp of profession and we'll try to challenge those that don't have that true grace in them. They didn't see. These, these foolish virgins, they didn't see a need for true relationship with Jesus until what they thought they had was gone. It lets us know we have to see our need for Jesus now. They saw that need, but their, their, their realization came too late. 1 Timothy chapter six, verse 19 tells us we are to be laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. I want to lay hold on eternal life. These foolish virgins had not taken the time to prepare themselves a good, solid foundation an unexpected time came to them and they lacked the ability to hold on until the bridegroom's return. The foolish went to the wise and asked them to share, but the wise refused. The wise understood we all give an account for ourselves. They, they knew they only had enough for themselves. You know, guys, I can't give you what I have. Just like, we don't have the ability to give what we have of Jesus to someone else. They didn't either. We all have to develop that personal faith, a personal walk with our Lord. You know what I mean by this is I can't get into heaven based on the faith of my pastor. My children can't get into heaven based on my faith. Faith has to get to the place of it has to become personal. Something of our own a covenant we ourselves step into on our own. No one can do that for us. We all start out simplistic like those foolish virgins. We think we've got understanding. We think we've received true grace. But as we dig, we continue to see there's way more to this than we initially thought. And guys, it it takes a lifetime to even begin to grasp even the slightest bit, the very surface of what Jesus truly means to us. So the wise, they send the foolish away to get that oil, get that personal relationship with Jesus. But now I want to look at the wise. The wise, they had that lamp of profession. They had that ability to stay lit through the weight. They had an understanding and thought enough to take extra oil with them. They took extra oil with them. So what does that mean? We get a good understanding of what that means when we jump back into the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Don't ever discredit the Old Testament. Guys, you gotta look at them both together. I'm not gonna read the entire story, but it can be found in 2 Kings chapter four, where we read about the woman whose husband has died and she's in debt with only a pot of oil. She had nothing but a bit of oil. The prophet Elisha tells her to gather all the vessels she could. She sends her sons to gather as many as they can. Then they go into their home, they shut the door, and she begins to pour that oil. And the oil miraculously continues to pour oil until every vessel is filled. What we need to take from this record of scripture is the oil poured out as long as there was a vessel. That oil is symbolic of the spirit of God. It does what we cannot do. When we jump back to the parable of the virgins, We see clearly that they could not make it without that oil. The wise virgins took time to catch the oil. Once they caught it, we find they protected it. They understood it was the oil that was going to fuel the flame of their life. It was the oil that provided the light that they desperately needed. So how do we take time to catch the oil? How do we gain that understanding? Well... We allow God to give us that revelation that it's the only the Spirit of God that's going to fuel the flame of our life. It's found in creating structure. We have to give that oil, that Spirit of God, a place to come into, to be poured into. And we do this by having private devotions, daily prayer time, a dedicated time to fast. It's a personal walk with God that stretches well beyond just coming to church on a Sunday morning and leaving. It's one that spills over into every day, every aspect of our life. And all of this, it requires dedication. It does require intentionality. And this is echoed when we read Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. The wise vir- virgins had an understanding. Yes, they knew the bridegroom was on his way. The trumpet had sounded, letting them know the time it was approaching, But they understood it could happen at any point between sunset and sunrise. And they accepted the fact that they had no idea which it was going to be. And they diligently went prepared for the unexpected. So they went out, they went out and they watched. And their watch shows that they took this seriously. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 tells us, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the bride was doing during her time away from her groom. She spent time with him for that short while, as that price he paid for her was realized, and she chose to receive that covenant promise. But now, while she's waiting for him, she's working out her salvation. She understands her groom had given her a covenant and she's protected by that covenant. And in return, she was protecting what was given to her. She was using her time to grow in love with a man that she may not have even known prior to the covenant, that promise being made. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 says, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. These wise women, this wise bride, she spent time walking circumspectly. She was looking carefully at how she was living. She was mindful of her behavior. And she was staying alert, like the Apostle Peter warned. Stay alert watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We find that in first Peter chapter five, verse eight. That's how she's preparing her garment. She's not overly confident in her flesh. Like we see Peter was earlier in his walk with Jesus. No, she's heeding Peter's warning and she's got her eyes wide open. Jewish couples, they didn't see each other prior to the wedding. Instead, they would send notes to each other and they'd really focus that time apart to prepare themselves individually for that wedding day, which is exactly what we need to do. We don't see our groom before that great marriage supper, do we? But we do spend time in prayer, or we should be spending time in prayer, you know, sending those notes to each other in prayer and interacting with this love letter Jesus has left us for us to learn about him and to fall in love with him. Prior to that great day, we as the church, we have a groom who has given us a covenant. His covenant protects us, but what are we doing to protect what he has given to us? It's our personal dedicated walk with him that allows us to hold up our side of things. We find in the parable that the groom, he isn't immediately there, and a common fault between both groups is is identified. They both slumbered and slept guys none of us are perfect i've already said it once we all go through times where we we might keep our lamp burning but we might find ourselves falling asleep giving a little here a little there moving the boundaries in our life and letting go a bit when it comes to our spiritual lives we all go through desert times and those desert times they can be challenging to our walk with christ but that doesn't stop the fact that the cry that the bridegroom is going to return is going out. In the parable, we find in this moment, everyone wakes up. When the bridegroom was getting ready to pick up the bride, he, he would send his friends ahead of him, sounding the trumpet, letting them know the bridegroom was coming. And here is where we see the difference between the two groups really emerge. Everyone trim their lamps. This is preparation. Everyone would remove that charred part of the wick and move a fresh part of the wick up, you know, enhancing or replenishing that flame. The wise, although they'd fallen asleep, were able to very quickly get things going again and pull from that oil that had been stored. The foolish, however, had their wick ready to go, but there was no oil in their vessel for it to draw from. And it was then that they remembered or that they had that revelation revelation that they had brought nothing with them. The wise virgins then sent them away to gather their own oil. It's during this time while they were away that we find the bridegroom, he comes. And those that were ready went in. They went in with that bridegroom and the door was shut. And once that door was shut, it was too late for anyone else to be admitted. It's then that the marriage happened. Like a thief in the night, the groom in ancient Jewish weddings would come and he would sweep his bride away. No one knew the hour or the day he was coming. They were only told to be ready. Guys, the same is true for us. We're told the moment of Jesus' second coming, he is going to come like a thief in the night without anyone knowing the day or the hour. As we look to the bride of Christ today, I want us to key in on something beautiful that God opened my eyes to see. The precious word of God, it opens up with a marriage and it closes with a marriage. A marriage that God has used all of time to prepare for. A marriage that God uses all throughout his word, calling everyone who is willing to come to take a seat at the table. Guys, I don't want to miss that great marriage supper. And I know you don't either. So let's spend time this year focusing in on making ourselves ready by choosing Jesus today and every day. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you for taking time to listen. I hope over the next few days, you'll take some time and really think about what we just went over. Look for a way to apply it. It's when we activate the word that we really start to step into the life that Jesus desires for us to live, that authentic Christian living. If you found this episode helpful, share it. And please leave a review. When you do, you help elevate the She Chooses podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find. And if you're like me and you like to digest information in varying forms, You can find the full episode transcript on the She Chooses website. Check out the show notes for a direct link. And hey, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe, making sure you never miss an episode.